This week, Memorial University makes big promises about indigenizing, but keeps the name of a racist doctor for its Cornerbrook campus. And calling the spirit of the ancestors on the spring full moon. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 211, made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. Later in the program, we'll have an update on a story we told you about back in November the racist legacy of Wilfred Grenfell, after whom Memorial University's Cornerbrook campus is named. Well, Mon has just unveiled its strategy for indigenization, and guess what? There's no mention of purging the Grenfell name. But first, the moon will be full later this week, March 18th, according to the Western calendar. These days, it's a sign that, yes, spring will come after a long hard winter. And so it was for our Mi'kmaq ancestors. Getting through the winter was not only an inconvenience, but a matter of survival. The full moon was a sign of better days to come, and a signal to get ready to move from the inland winter grounds back to the water. We spoke about the full moon and the meaning of it with Jason Benoit, chief of Benoit First Nation and Halibut counselor for Port-a-Port Ward. So, Jason, um, uh, we're headed up to the uh, to the full moon on March the 18th. In some parts of Mogi, they refer to it as the Maple Sugar Moon, and of course, on our in our part of Mi'kma'ki. We were not into maple sugar. That's not part of our our natural environment. But still, our people would uh, find a lot of inspiration in uh, in this uh, in this full moon. So let's just um, first locate where our people would have been in traditional times. They would still be in the woods, still inland, and uh, the end of a long winter. Correct. Yeah, they would still be in the woods. Um, probably already talking about what moving to the shoreline um, for sure. Uh, also, uh, they would be well aware of the maple syrup because of you know because of the relatives doing it in on the mainland. So they may have been doing the the, the you know tapping the, the birch uh, sap as well this time of year because it's in the forest. Mm-hmm. In the wooded areas, uh, what, would, what would they use the uh, the birch sap for? Well, they use it for similar purposes that you would use maple syrup. It'd be almost like a substitute, really, for maple syrup. Uh, I know they'd be using it for um, in preparing meats and stuff. Uh, they'd use it as a I wouldn't call it a preservative, but they would use it to enhance the flavor. Because a lot of the meats, they, were, they would, uh, uh, to, to save it, to make it last, you would, you'd want to preserve it, you want to dry it, you want to cook it, and uh, a maple would be used for that. But they'd also use it as a, as a tonic, 
you know, if they uh, boiled it off, there was some medicinal uh, uh, purposes for uh, for ail minor ailments. Uh, I think, uh, and they may have done that elsewhere as well, but definitely here, they were, you know, they would have been tapping it, and not all families would have been doing it, but some families would have been would be using the sap from the from the birch, right. And the food would be, I suppose, that maybe if they were uh, preparing the caribou, uh, they might have used the uh, the birch sap in there as uh, to add to the uh, to the uh, caribou as they cooked it. Yes, yes. And afterwards, when you when you when you were preserving it for uh, for long term use for keeping it for future use. Yes. So uh, they would be uh, at this time. They they. Uh, you know, when it got dark, they would go out and in the western sky, they would see uh, the moon getting bigger and bigger. And then they would see the full moon. And uh, as they um, they might be talking, uh, our people, maybe uh, there would be uh, a few families together in which with their own wigwams. And they would uh, talk about uh, uh, when are we going to move? When are we going to move back to the water? They were making plans at this time. Almost yes, and, and almost time for a minor celebration as well. Hmm. You know, uh, giving thanks to the Creator. Uh, you know, giving the the the, uh, the, the plate to the spirits, a food, and uh, yeah, and that kind of start off a whole new uh, season for them. Mm -hmm. And. Um and and where in for people in your area, where where would they be at this time of year? When they were inside, when they were on the country, would they be in toward the uh, Antiopscotch uh, Hills in that area, or where do you think they would have uh, spent the winter? In heavily wooded areas for shelter and for the resources, mm. uh, preferably near a brook mm. or 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 a, or a pond. Um, and you know, some areas had rivers, of course, but uh, there are more ponds and, and more brooks and you know, little little creeks than there are you know, actual rivers. But uh, any place because they'd have their source of water hmm. and they'd have the source of wood for, for their fires and protection from the wind and, 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 and the storms by having your you know, your wigwam set up in a, in a tree, heavily treed area, you get a lot of protection from the, from the forest. Um, also, uh I know some families would have actually stored their meats, for instance, in uh, in, in pouches and containers. Uh, some of it made from birch and made from hides and stuff, and actually would would, um, would tie it into the brooks and, and into the water, protect it to make mm. it last, keep it from freezing, uh, but also keep it from from predators, I guess. Yes. And depending on what kind of winter it was, it might have been, you know, a good winter. It might have been a hard winter. Maybe there weren't a lot of uh, caribou around. Maybe there wasn't a lot of, they could be getting very low on food at this, uh, at this time of year. They, they, um, would be. they would be. And they would, so, and if they were low on food, maybe they'd head for the, uh, the water sooner than they would in, in different circumstances. And that would bring them out uh, looking for seals along the shorelines. Hmm. And that's a lucrative source of uh, food and and other resources from the seal because they utilize the skins, you know, the hides, the uh, mm -hmm. bones, uh, and the meat, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would be, uh, I guess, uh, if they wrote, uh, they would um, 
course, the weather in uh, on the on the island in March, April, even April, even into May, sometimes can be can be kind of fierce too. So they would have to look for the right spot to put up that wigwam, I guess, because uh, there wouldn't be as much tree cover when they were closer to the water. I, I would think they would uh, would have would have actually set up in uh, uh, treed areas closest to the shore hmm. shoreline and still have that protection because uh, before people were clearing land, you know, the trees did go fairly close to the shorelines. Hmm. So they still would have had some protection. I think they wouldn't, they wouldn't have put it out on a beach or anything like that. Cause I mean, that would be just be too cold and uh, yes. too much to do to the, uh, to the weather. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, so if they were lucky enough to get uh, seal, what, what, how would they, uh, how would they cook it? Do you think, uh, how would they prepare it? I'm sure there's all kinds of little remedies and, and, and procedures that we follow, but, um, they would cut it up and put over a fire, over their fires. Maybe, uh, some people would put it on a stick. Some people would just put it right on a, some rocks onto a fire and let it cook that way. Um, uh, some people even preferred seal meat partially raw, hmm. you know, and just smoked a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Depends on the preference, I would think, mm-hmm. of the families. And of course, that would be uh, after uh, a long winter eating, I suppose, mostly caribou and uh, whatever other four-legged creatures they could find. This would be uh, a bit of a delicacy, a treat, something new after uh, getting a, a bit tired of caribou by that time. That would be completely different, too, because uh, seal is, is, is a different meat, so it's yes. very rich. So if you were kind of poor, uh, that would be a good meat to eat because it's really rich, mm-hmm. really oily. It has, you know, lots of uh, omega-3s, for instance, that would, would have been a healthy food for them to be eating. Yes. Uh, at the end of a, of, a, of a tight winter or end of a tight, you know, where your, where your food supplies get scarce. Because mm-hmm. they might be kind of run down uh, uh, by this, you know, after, you know, getting towards, um, you know, the bottom of the uh, the the uh, the food there and um i guess um the the seal would have a, as you say would have a lot of nutrients so a bit of a, a bit of a tonic a bit of an immune booster there after Absolutely. after the winter so it would be a health uh, a health boosting thing that seal it would be and a lot of families too were you know they were just scraping by surviving so they, they didn't uh there wasn't a lot of any extra anything so yeah they, that would have been a big boost for them in the spring for sure Mm-hmm. And do you think, uh, what do you think they would uh, do on the, um, the, around the time of the full moon? Would there, the, this particular full moon, when it was uh, headed into a new season, the end of winter, do you think they would have done ceremony or marked the occasion, this full they, moon? Uh, absolutely, they would have marked the, uh, marked the occasion with, with, uh, with some talking circles and storytelling about the, you know, the moon, the importance of the moon and how seasons work with them. Uh, a celebration of uh, uh, involving a bit of food and some dance and, and storytelling, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, teaching the children about, uh, about the importance. Wisdom from the elders. Yes. You know. And, and would there, and uh, would they, how many, uh, families would uh, would travel together to the um, towards the water would it be um, 
I suppose it would be an extended circle, maybe. Maybe there'd be three wigwams with an extended family circle, uh, not just one, not the way we think of the nuclear family, mom, dad, and children. It would be more of an extended group that would travel together, probably. Yeah, you know, your aunties and uncles, and you know, yeah, you'd have this extended family that way. Not a whole lot, though. From my, from my understanding, there were fairly, fairly small groups, uh, but I would say no more than three. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you, you'd see one or two, from what I was told. One or two so, yeah. families. Yeah, one or two wigwams set up. One or two um, wigwams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we might be talking about between 10 and 20 people, uh, do you think, uh, traveling traveling at, at most, yeah. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there were all these separate groups in all these separate areas. And they may have even come in contact, you know, and, and when they moved down towards shoreline and, and then start interacting more uh, as well. Right, they you know, might have told each other when they passed each other on the way. They might have told each other where they were going. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they may have separated a bit when they when they when they gone in for the winter and kind of re re uh, established their connection when they come back in the, on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess families are moving all over, kind of. Not, I, I don't think they were nomadic like some people think they were. Mm-hmm. It was more about being on the shoreline and uh, being in certain different places and different seasons, mm-hmm. but not necessarily anywhere else where you normally would be unless something happened. Right. Like, for instance, you couldn't find any more moose or any more caribou. Well, you know, there were no moose in our area back then, just caribou. Then maybe you would, you would try to relocate. Uh, and then maybe some young, uh, young, young boys uh, went out and got themselves wives and wanted to go out and be separate and try mm-hmm. their own different uh, region to be at. You know, that sort of thing. Right. So it, was, it, it was, wasn't as much as being nomadic as having their, their winter area and, yes. their, and their spring, summer area. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, you know, if, I think if they're really established in really good areas, they may have more permanent structures, you know, that they would go back to, you know, when mm-hmm. they go back and to the same spot, really. Right. Yeah, they would have cleared some trees. They might have left even left some things behind for the next uh, when they went came when they went back the next winter. They might have stuff there waiting for them. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, very interesting. So, Jason, uh, this Friday night is which is when the full moon uh, is according to the Western calendar. But of course, our people might have uh, it might have been two or three nights of uh, full moon because the, the moon is full there for a few days. So they might not have been as precise as March the 18th. Um, no, you're right. You're right. Um, but when we, when we, if we're lucky enough to see the moon in the, in the sky on Friday, March 18th, we'll think of our ancestors and, um, and uh, what they were doing. And just like us, they were looking for the end of winter, better times, and uh, and celebrate the uh, the beginning of a new season. And we want to do the same thing. Jason Benoit, Chief of Benoit First Nation and Halibut Counselor for Port of Port Ward. On episode 197, we told you about the other side of Wilfred Grenfell. Doctor, philanthropist, self-promoter, racist, and after whom memorials 
campus in Cornerbrook is named. The Inuit families on the coast of Labrador knew him well. He was the one who came, often with a police officer, to coerce parents into giving up their children. We spoke to Telegram reporter Evan Kareen for that episode. So I, I started reaching out to different Inuit people I knew in Labrador and asking them about Wilfred Grenfell. And I started hearing a lot of anecdotal stories about um, him taking people's children against their will. And, and people, uh, like, for example, one of the stories that was in, in my article was about uh, people used to hide their children when they see his boat come into the harbor. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, and that's a very different view than, than Wilfred Grenfell has been, has been traditionally um, seen as, I guess, you know, or, or what, we, what we learned about mm-hmm. Wilfred Grenfell in, in school and just in popular culture. As you say, there's, uh, I think, probably a much different view of Grenfell on the, on the island of Newfoundland, uh, especially the, the southern part, maybe not as much in St. Anthony, as there is in, in Labrador itself, where, uh, you know, um, people who didn't have any dealings with the Grenfell legacy have that uh, kind of rosy view and people more connected with the legacy have a much different view. So there's a, there's a very much a divide in, in the provincial consciousness, I guess, about Grenfell. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, uh, the feedback I received from the article was very divided as well. Um, there were a lot of people who were mostly, I found people from Labrador, the kind of the view I got from them was that it's about time. Someone said this, this is, this is something that needed to be said. And I've also gotten a lot of people from different parts of Newfoundland who've, who've said basically that it's all misrepresentations and lies and, and that I shouldn't be trying to tear down a historical figure. So it's, mm. it's, it's, a very, it's been a very, very polarizing um, reaction. The Gruntful name has been a source of trauma for people on the north coast of Labrador. And there have been calls for his name to be removed from the institutions and agencies that bear his name. We heard from Michelle Kinney, Deputy Minister of Health and Social Development for the government of Nunatsiavut. I know that he did a lot of good things. Like, I, I don't think that's an issue. I think there are positive things in what he did. Um, sometimes it's the way he did them. I think that he overstepped a lot of boundaries and um, came from that background where there were, was a real hierarchy in society um, and made decisions for people and imposed decisions on people that uh, weren't always, I feel, in their best interest. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard a lot of people say that he is the only one who operated an orphanage with no orphans, and that may be stretching it. Um, there may have been some orphans there. But a lot of the children that were there were children that he felt would be better off there. So when you say an, orf- an orphanage with no orphans, you mean that people had parents and didn't need to be at the orphanage? Yes, I, I believe so. Hmm. I, you know, my background is in mental health and counseling. So a lot of the stories that I have encountered from people who have been very traumatized, um, I can't share the details of those stories or share information that would um, give any indication as to who they are. So I have to speak in generalities, but I do know of families where, you know, the father was deceased, mom had several children, and Dr. Grenfell felt that the children would be better off in the orphanage and the moms would be placed in a workhouse or given jobs or whatever. When no one asked for help. 
and families probably would have stepped in and provided, but it's what he felt was best. When Mi'kmaq Matters followed up with Mun late last year, we were told that a task force would be set up to review all names that represent colonial history. There were no terms of reference, no timelines. And there is no mention at all in the Strategic Framework for Indigenization 2021-2026 to that came out last week. There is a lot of positive content about encouraging Indigenous scholarship and hiring and outreach. There is even mention of the need for a building at Cornerbrook, reflective of the location of the campus on Mi'kmaq territory. But you have to wonder about the chances of much of this coming to reality, with the provincial government taking the financial axe to Memorial. If you wander around campus in St. John's, you get the feeling some of the crumbling buildings will soon fall down altogether. But how much does it cost to purge the Granville name from the Cornerbrook campus? Probably not as much as putting up a new building. All it takes is political commitment. And that, it seems, is what we're short of. Before we go, a note for Halibut members. The next meeting of Chief and Council is Saturday, March 26th, starting at 10.30 a.m. Newfoundland time. You can view the meeting online with your GNU login. That's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. I'm Sidney